Some new protests broke out today in Venezuela after the nation's highest court moved to freeze bank accounts and impose a travel ban on self-declared interim president Juan Guaido. Supporters of opposition leader Guaido, who is challenging incumbent Nicolas Maduro, took to the streets a day after the court's chief justice announced the restrictions on Twitter. The political crisis seems to be getting worse as Guaido urges protesters to demand the military come to his side. WTOP editor Carlos Prieto grew up in Venezuela. He hasn't been back in about three years and tells us tonight about the roots of the current unrest going back to the late President Hugo Chavez. Doing walkouts and singing the anthem has been the way that Venezuelans protest for the past 20 plus years. Protests rarely go violent and when they do it's usually been because the repression has sparked the violence. I think the greater picture rather than what's happening right now at a protest is to look at it the context. This is not a crisis that was started with Maduro. It sure got worse during the Maduro years, so from 2013 on. But I think it's important every time that you talk about this issue to point out how Chavez really sparked this crisis, both with his economic measures as well as with the weakening of the institutions and the militarization of the government, the state, and the life in general in Venezuela. So does that mean that Maduro really had very little to work with once he took over? And of course, he continued the policies of Hugo Chavez. Right. I mean, he. this is not to take any responsibility off him because he was a vice president during Chavez's years and he was a chancellor. He was in the government during Chavez's years. But really, right now, the economic crisis is just an extension of the policies that Chavez already had in place. What you see right now is the lid coming off of a hole that Chavez dug for the most part. He led the country during years of massive wealth. Oil reached levels that I don't think the country had ever really seen before. And the government was receiving most of that money. And that money was going towards social programs that were not sustainable in the long term, such as housing, people were getting free appliances, free vehicles, free houses. It went beyond universal health care, and I think that's important to note because a lot of people hear social programs here in the U.S., and they think, you know, oh, universal health care or free education. We already had that in Venezuela and retirement funds. This was about housing programs that, in the long term, no government can really sustain. And those types of programs that Chavez started in the early 2000s and with no real plan on how to pay for it after the oil money ran out. What's your greatest fear for Venezuela right now? My greatest fear for Venezuela is inaction. We have gone through these kinds of protests and these kinds of movements, and uh, right now it certainly feels different because the United States has stood for Guaido and many other presidents and people in the countries around the world have, have done so. But my biggest fear is that the, this too gets diluted. In past years, we have had this feeling that we are going to move forward and we are going to come out of this because this happened and that happened. And it's been so frustrating to see how it just crumbles apart. And nothing, nothing changes. So that, that really is my biggest fear. And by contrast, perhaps your biggest hope. My hope is that what is going on right now, the media attention that it, this issue is getting, the political attention that this is causing, the disputes in between Russia, China, and the United States, that this actually moves things along. We have never had such a solid standing in our country, such a political standing where the opposition actually has a claim for power. We've never had this level of attention internationally, and 
and we have never had this this doubt cast upon Maduro. My biggest hope is that things actually change, and maybe in in some years I would be able to travel again. I would love to be there, even if just for tourism, uh, sometime soon. I haven't been there in three years, and you really miss it when you don't get to eat your food or go to these places that you knew all your life and really cannot enjoy it in the same way. Is it life or death right now for many Venezuelans? If you are a lower class person and you live in what we call the barrios, it is. Every day is life or death because it's not safe. There is no trust in the police and in the military and with good reason because many of them are corrupted and are the ones doing crime. If you are trying to speak at a protest or be at a protest, there is a chance that you might get killed. And in a situation like this, trying to speak out should be one of the basic things that you should be allowed to do. My parents, for example, when they were living in Venezuela, they moved out a couple years ago, their policy was just not leave home. If that's your reality, then no, you're probably fine unless you get robbed while you're driving somewhere or get kidnapped when you're at home, you're fine. But I would argue that it's no way of living. And that certainly was no way of living for me. I always had issues with my parents, not just because I was a rebellious teenager. For them, being a rebellious teenager meant going out at 7 p.m. to my friend's home. I just want to contextualize what the reality is. When you stay home like that, do you have food delivered in or do you quickly jump in your car and go shopping? I mean, it's a whole system of survival there, I suppose. You shape your life around that. And this almost sounds ridiculous to say, but my parents moved to apartments that were across the street from a supermarket or directly above a supermarket. Caracas is a city with a lot of high-rise buildings. I always lived in either a 17th floor or an 18th floor. But you do shape your life around being close to a grocery store. And, you know, a short distance like that, you risk it. If you are in a certain position, for example, most people that here that are in power, they do have people that go do the groceries for them. It's not like we have delivery services from grocery stores themselves, but you do get uh, a fine way. It's also the, the sense of community expands to levels that you wouldn't imagine. People in the same floor in your building will give you canned goods or really share flour or food. It's a very different situation. Partly it is what you're saying. You uh, get it delivered, but it extends. It shapes your life beyond that for sure. Right. Just to make sure you're not caught at the wrong place at the wrong time. You and your wife living here in the Washington area, your parents now living in the U.S., do you ever have discussions about wishing you were back in Venezuela, sort of to stand in solidarity despite the terrible suffering that you would perhaps endure if you were living back there now? Absolutely. And this is something that my wife and my parents would kill me for if, if they heard me say it. But as a journalist, I do feel a responsibility of being there and being covering the situation. My parents, when they left, they had gone through so much of it. They only moved a couple of years ago. They didn't feel the need to be there anymore. They felt like they had suffered enough. I think it's a defense mechanism. You start thinking about yourself. For me, I hear the country that they lived in for most of their life, and I, I have a little bit of envy of that. Part of me feels like I should be there fighting the fight with most people. Part of me also feels like I'm doing what I can while being here. So while I wish that I were there and I convince myself that I'm helping in whatever extension I can while here, part of me wishes that I were in Venezuela. I've gone through this kind of struggle in the past two, three years where I, I wish I were there, but I know that first it would give my family a heart attack, but also it puts my own life at risk to an extent that you really consider whether or not you're more helpful being outside of the country. Are you and your relatives here sending money back home? You can't. You can't do that because really? unlike Mexico or other countries where you do hear that they send money back home, Venezuela has a currency control, which means that people in the country cannot legally own foreign currency. If you have money, if you have dollars or euros, that's technically illegal. So you cannot send dollars. There's no you know, money gram or institutions that can bring money in. So what you 
could do technically is sell dollars here to Bolivares and send them in, but that's tricky as well because there's a lot of fraud and there's a lot of people that will only do the transfer after you have sent money. So it's really not a situation that allows for a lot of humanitarian assistance in that way, sending money to family members. There are some organizations that do allow you to send goods, but those two, because they have to go through customs and customs is notoriously corrupted there, it's not even a warranty that it's going to get to your family. WTOP editor Carlos Prieto, who was born and raised in Venezuela. We'll, of course, keep you updated on the latest developments from there on WTOP and WTOP.com. 